KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Tuesday, November 2nd. The VA cancels treatments for veterans against its own doctor's orders. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. Enrollment is now open for Covered California. That's the state health exchange created under the Affordable Care Act. Officials say health insurance is cheaper than ever before because of federal subsidies through the Biden administration's COVID-19 stimulus package. The plan included about $3 billion for Covered California through 2022. Flu season is here, and the numbers show an increase in cases from last year. San Diego County's Department of Public Health is making the flu vaccine free and accessible throughout the county. Here's Dr. Cameron Kaiser, the county's public health director. It's really always hard to predict flu seasons. I mean, last year we were very worried that there would be a collision between flu and COVID-19. And that just simply didn't happen. It turns out that social distancing and masks work pretty well for other communicable diseases besides COVID-19. According to CDC guidelines, it's safe to get the flu shot with the COVID-19 vaccine shot or booster. The city of San Diego is launching a survey to measure public perception of the police. Questions include what a person's top safety concerns are and whether they think police in their neighborhood treat people with respect. Khalid Alexander is president of the nonprofit Pillars of the Community. He says the questions are superficial. The idea that these conversations are happening without the people who have been demanding change is a clear example that this is only uh, an attempt to change the perception and not actually change the institution. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Nine million veterans in the U.S. get medical care through the VA each year. iNewsource investigative reporter Jill Castellano is back with the second part of her two-part series on the federal health care system. And a warning, this story you are about to hear contains mention of thoughts of suicide. This is Kiowa Wolf's happy place. He used to come here with his service dog Marlowe twice a week. You're crying for treats. Are you serious? Wolf is a Marine Corps veteran who was deployed to Afghanistan in 2011. He struggles with depression, thoughts of suicide, and post-traumatic stress. No traditional medications or therapy seem to help. 
starts making me real edgy and you know always looking at people and checking for exits and pretty irritable. Because Wolf is a veteran, the VA healthcare system paid for him to try a special treatment called ketamine therapy here at this private doctor's office. Sitting in the courtyard outside the clinic, Wolf and his wife call the drug infusions life-saving. You know, I could just actually relax and put my arm around my son and talk to him and act like a human and not like T-101, the Terminator. But last year, the San Diego VA stopped paying for the treatments, impacting Wolf and 27 other mentally ill veterans. Emails show the VA's own doctors warned that cutting the veterans off from these treatments could put their lives at risk. But hospital personnel did it anyway. Since losing regular ketamine therapy, Wolf has spent more and more of his time lingering in bed. Suicidal ideations and, and those thoughts and stuff um, staying longer in my head. It's like I'm just another number. Again... An iNews source investigation has found that across the country, VA administrators and staff are overruling doctors' orders about what their patients need. Here in San Diego, an inspector general's report found that hospital staff stopped paying for ketamine treatments because they had trouble keeping track of paperwork. It was not a medical decision. Yeah, I think the million-dollar question is, is the who? Who, who, who? makes this decision now. To help get his treatments back, Wolf has enlisted Renee St. Clair, a lawyer working for the veteran pro bono. He's come to know this treatment as the thing that gets him by week to week. And when you take that away from someone and you leave them with nothing, it's crushing. It's soul crushing. During a recent visit, St. Clair reviewed stacks of communication sent to the VA over the past year. May 7th, 2021, the clock is counting down toward Veteran Wolf's fate. The life of a good man and a good Marine April is at 30th, stake. 2021. I assure you, I will harness resources and get to the bottom of this deprivation. March 12th, the issue is bigger than Kiowa. The fury and fear of these vets will not be ignored forever. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Okay. St. Clair catches her breath and thinks about all the work she's done to help Kiowa Wolf. I, I can feel it in my gut because I haven't gone back and read them since I wrote them. I, I do it because I want there to be at least one day a week <laughs> that they know that Kiowa is still out there and he still needs help and that they shouldn't forget because we're not forgetting. The San Diego VA has started offering a low-dose version of the drug that many patients have not found therapeutic, including Wolf. Dr. Kathleen Kim, the hospital's chief of staff, says these veterans can't return to the private clinic because of legal concerns. She cited St. Clair's emails as the reason. And one of the former administrators of that clinic every Friday sends what I would call a nasty email complaining about this issue. And so at this point, we've turned it over to legal counsel. For Wolf, the VA's decision to stop paying for ketamine has felt like a betrayal. Feels like I'm getting stabbed in the back with a Bowie knife and getting that twisted. The veteran's home is full of keepsakes from his time in the Marine Corps. 
pictures in uniform, insignias lining the walls, and a folded retirement flag in a shadow box. A lot of our brothers and sisters that don't uh, always get this because, you know, they, they don't always make it back from um, downrange. It's an honor to, to even be, have, have this in my hands. When he has the strength to get out of bed, Wolf spends his time in the living room with his wife and kids, cooking meals and watching TV. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> These moments of joy are some of the best medicine Wolf can get. And that was iNewsource investigative reporter Jill Castellano. If you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. iNewsource is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS. A new report shows Islamophobia continues to threaten the security and mental health of Muslim students across the state. The California chapter of the Council on American-Islamic Relations, known as CARE, has released its latest report that documents cases of bullying and discrimination against Muslim students in California. KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez has more on its findings. The PBS NewsHour introduced us to Hafsa Abdi, a high school student in Minnesota. Though born in the U.S., she was bullied because of her Somali and Muslim heritage. She says classmates were relentless. So they'd be like, oh, well, why are you making the bathroom dirty? Are you stinky Somalian? Are you terrorist? Or stuff like that. Or go back to where you came from. Islamophobia continues to confront students across the country. In California, there's a new report that shows it's especially prevalent. The Council on American Islamic Relations, also called CARE, just released results of a survey conducted with more than 700 11 to 18-year-old Muslim students across the state. The survey found more than 47% of them reported being bullied by classmates for being Muslim. 55.7% felt unsafe in their schools. And about a third of them report having their traditional hijab head garment offensively touched. The kids are being surveyed are right here that go to school with your children and my children. Tazeen Nizam is Associate Executive Director of CARE San Diego, which participated in the survey. She says responsibility rests with parents and other adults who model behavior. If a child shows up to school and is eating a falafel instead of a PB&J sandwich, that acceptability starts there. If a child shows up and their mother wears a hijab and drops them off, that that acceptance of parents being different, looking different, also starts at a very young age. Here's a response from a 12-year-old San Diego student that was included in the survey. Quote, some people had told me that Donald Trump is going to kick you out of the United States and send you back to where you came from. End quote. Another student from Fremont in the Bay Area said, quote, my science teacher told me that my type likes flying planes into buildings. End quote. A lot of people feel like someone who looks like me can't be an American because of my skin color or the hijab that I'm wearing, and that makes me not an American. Hafsa and so many others are determined to shatter those stereotypes. 
And that was reporting from KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez. A proposal to merge schools in the Oceanside School District has left some parents feeling blindsided. KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne tells us some parents feel the district is targeting schools serving Latinos. Enrollment in Oceanside schools has declined and some of their schools are in need of upgrades. The district has proposed plans to merge some of their schools in order to repair and rebuild some campuses. But this could mean closing schools also. Natalie Sanchez is a parent at Libby Lake Elementary and the president of the school's parent-teacher organization. She says the proposals targets the schools serving mostly Latino and low-income families. We're the furthest brown school from the district, so it's easier to target. Our parents aren't very vocal. Um, we have a lot of parents that don't speak English, aren't very high-techy, so it's we're easier to target. The school board has a special meeting to vote on the proposals Tuesday at 6 p.m. Parents are planning a rally outside of the district at 5. And that was KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne. Day of the Dead celebrations kicked off across the county on Monday, including at the County Administration Center, where an altar commemorating lives lost in San Diego was set up. KPBS's Alexandra Von Hell has more on the special meaning behind this year's community altar. Some of the stories that we hear are of, you know, son and mother who have passed away of COVID. Nearly 100 photos were submitted by community members who lost a loved one during the pandemic. Their photos now grace the second annual COVID-19 Altar de los Muertos, presented by county and community leaders. Community Engagement Director Paola Martinez Montes received this year's submissions. Last year, we represented all lives lost to COVID-19. Um, so we had 900 represented last year. This year, we're at 4,200, 4,213 to be exact. 4,200 candles were lit and placed on the altar to represent each life that was lost. Chair Nathan Fletcher says he's been touched by the countless stories he's heard of people who have died. And so this is taking what is a culturally significant holiday in the Latino and Mexican culture for, for centuries um, and, and, and using it to give the families who lost someone a, a place to celebrate, to celebrate their lives, to commemorate uh, everything that they lived for. As Montes helped put the altar together, she honored her grandmother, Maria Fregoso, whose picture adorns the altar. She died from COVID last year. Although a devastating loss for her family, Montes knows her grandmother is somewhere rejoicing on this day. Earlier this morning, we were playing music as we were setting up. And so, you know, I hope that as she comes, she hears, she hears that. Um, I remember her at one of her birthday parties singing with the family. So that was, I'm sure she, she's gonna enjoy coming in and enjoying that part, that piece of it. So, And that was reporting from KPBS's Alexandra Ron Hell. A special ceremony will be held in front of the altar tonight at 6.30 p.m. to honor each life lost. Coming up, Sandag announced a proposal to tax people for each mile they drive in San Diego. We'll have more on how the plan's supposed to work next, just after the break.
KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, shaping the next generation of data-driven problem solvers. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. As many of the world's leaders gather in Scotland for the United Nations Climate Change Conference, the fight against climate change is taking center stage. Here's President Biden addressing the conference on Monday morning. We're standing at an inflection point in world history. We have the ability to invest in ourselves and build an equitable, clean energy future, and in the process, create millions of good-paying jobs and opportunities around the world. Late last week, closer to home, the San Diego Association of Governments, better known as SANDAG, announced a bold transportation proposal to reduce the region's greenhouse gas emissions, a step in its fight against climate change. And it could have major impact on how San Diegans travel day to day. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen spoke with our Midday Edition host, Jade Hindman, to talk more about how this proposal would work and its potential impacts in the region. Here's that interview. Can you tell us about what was proposed last week and how it would impact San Diego? Well, on Friday, the Sandag board discussed several updates to its regional transportation plan. This is the roadmap that the county uses to show state and federal authorities that they've got a plan for how to meet everyone's transportation needs far into the future. We're talking out to uh, 2050. And the state has required Sandag to uh, significantly reduce both the number of miles that people drive in their automobiles day to day and overall greenhouse gas emissions. This plan was first announced earlier in the year, in the spring, uh, and the updates that they were um, proposing or discussing on Friday were mostly small tweaks to the plans or maybe a little bit more detail to things that they had already discussed earlier. There is an emphasis on traffic safety, uh, trying to reduce the number of deaths and serious injuries on our roadways. Uh, There was a plan to uh, try and incorporate more bathrooms at public transit stops, uh, language on the importance of preserving habitat and open space. The area that got the most amount of discussion and controversy was some changes to how this whole plan will be funded, including this road user charge that would be uh, imposed on uh, people for every mile that they drive in their cars. And there was a great deal of reaction from the announcement of of a pair of those mile taxes for drivers that you mentioned. How would that work? Well, first, a bit of background. So for many years, the gas tax has not been paying for all of our transportation infrastructure needs. Revenues from the gas tax funds have been declining for for decades, really, as more people drive uh, more fuel-efficient vehicles, hybrids, and electric vehicles. And so the idea is that by 2030, drivers, uh, according to this plan, would pay $0.04 for every mile that they drive on the roads. Uh, $0.02 would go to the state. This is just kind of the uh, Sandag's way of assuming, you know, start picking a number saying, let's say the state uh, charges two cents for every mile and we will charge another two cents on top of that. And the idea is that this uh, road charge would actually replace the gas tax or uh, some adjustment would be made to the gas tax so people aren't paying twice. 
it's just kind of a, a change in the way that we calculate the cost of driving because right now uh, electric vehicles are uh, using the roads they're you know putting stress on the roads which you know ultimately over time causes potholes and deterioration of the infrastructure but they're not paying any money in gas taxes so uh, how do we capture those uh, you know the the cost of that um, stress on the infrastructure in a way that's kind of fairer to everybody. And what effect will this have on how public transportation works and operates in the region? Well, the regional transportation plan that Sandag is discussing includes a, a very significant investment in new public transit infrastructure. There are multiple commuter rail lines that would be running uh, across the county. We're talking new lines uh, that are separated from traffic, so either uh, you know a subway system uh, or an above ground uh, you know elevated railway. Uh, and the idea, again, is to not just charge people for uh, driving for every mile that they drive, but also to make public transit free by 2030. So, uh, and, you know, the same year that this uh, road user charge would come into effect. And this really gets at the uh, strategy of a carrot and stick approach. We've heard a lot of criticism, particularly as Congress is debating the Build Back Better Act and the, you know, uh, social spending and climate change funding for um, you know, reducing our, our carbon footprint, you hear a lot of criticism from climate activists and climate scientists that we rely too much on carrots uh, or incentives to get people to, say, put rooftop solar panels on their roofs or uh, drive electric vehicles. And we don't have enough sticks, you know, ways to sort of like nudge people a little bit further in that direction. So pricing the system, pricing the transportation system so that everyone can see in real dollars and cents that it's in their interest and everybody else's interest to drive a whole lot less and take more sustainable modes of transportation, I think is really at the heart of this strategy of making transit free and also pricing driving more. San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria announced support for the plan. He has also made equity a key part of San Diego's actions on climate. Here he is speaking about the city's Our Climate, Our Future plan. Our response to the climate crisis must take into account the disproportionate impacts on historically underserved communities and appropriately address those existing inequities. So how does the Sandag plan address issues of equity? Sandag officials have described their plan to me as trying to solve for a couple of different things. Uh, one of them is just meeting the obligations to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, you know, creating a legally compliant transportation plan. But another thing that they're trying to solve for is this issue of social equity. They've done quite a bit of data analysis on access to opportunity in different parts of the county. And, you know, they can get down to the minute, essentially, how much time it takes for a person to get to work in, say, one neighborhood like uh, National City or uh, City Heights or uh, San Marcos compared to another neighborhood like somebody who lives downtown or in Kearney Mesa or anywhere. And so they're taking all of that data, trying to uh, incorporate it into their long-term transportation planning and just making real decisions about where they're going to build this rail line or you know how much uh, funding they're going to dedicate to a new high, high-speed bus uh, line um, that go through different neighborhoods. Unsurprisingly, uh, low-income people have some of the most difficult 
difficult commute times. Many of them uh, perhaps don't have access to a car to get to work, so they're using public transit, which takes a whole lot longer. And so the plan really aims to make improvements to those less uh, affluent or uh, areas with less access to opportunity first. And so one example, a real sort of example, is the alignment of one of their commuter rail lines that they're planning uh, puts a station in City Heights instead of North Park. So what has to happen for this plan to be implemented? A lot. (laughs) The first thing that has to happen is on December 10th, the Sandag Board of Directors has to vote to approve it. Uh, But then, you know, the actual implementation of the plan relies on many different things. First of all, voters would have to approve new tax measures. You know, the state and federal governments would probably have to step up their funding of infrastructure. There are lots of different things that have to happen in order for this plan to become a reality. Uh, Many of them are, you know, multiple decisions many, many years into the future. Uh, But, you know, the the next step, I would say, is just uh, December 10th, the final vote at the Sandak Board of directors. And that was KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com.